was timing, opportunity, you know, whatever the things you have to do to get good outcomes. Welcome to another episode of Spotlight with Oliver Yonchev, Managing Director of Social Chain US. In this episode, we're really privileged to have Oliver on, talking to us all about the development of culture within a high growth business. One of the things I would like to ask you is about, um, like, how did you get involved at Social Chain? Like, I've read, I've read about an email that was 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 sent, maybe, or how did you get involved in Social Chain? Yeah, so I got involved in Social Chain um, by simply reaching out to Steve. So I'd I'd been working for a media company for four years. I loved what I did. I was really supported. Had all the mentorship. Uh, doing very well, progressing through my career. Um, and then I watched a TED talk that Steve, who founded Social Chain, that basically said how I built a multi-million dollar business knowing nothing about business, which is a, you know, a headline in itself, right? And I loved it. I genuinely watched it. I had no intent. I reached out to Steve on LinkedIn following that. And I'd never done this before. Never in my life had I randomly just reached out to an internet figure, because that's what it was at the time and said like i appreciate you and that's all i did i said hey watch your ted talk super inspiring you've gained a fan keep it up my man and it was timing opportunity you know whatever the things you have to do to get good outcomes and he basically said come meet me um went and met him met the team and i was blown away by the unconventional wisdom of how they did things having been exposed to a lot of agencies and uh, media entities and they, there was something refreshing about social chains culture. There was something refreshing about the naivety. I think we all go through life sometimes with the curse of knowledge, meaning we, you know, we know a lot about our craft. You sometimes forget, you know, like a lack of knowledge or a lack of experience can be an advantage. And that's what social chain was built on, just looking at the marketing world and doing ways, doing things the way that it felt right or that the world um, that could give you advantages in, in, in a new media landscape. So I, I joined Social Chain. I took maybe, I maybe took about three months to decide if I was going to join Social Chain um, because effectively at the time I was taking a pay cut. Um, you know, it felt like I was taking a step back from a company that employs thousands of people, progressing really, you know, nicely through that business. They'd been great to me. I loved the work I did. And it felt a risk and a leap to join a, what was at the time a, a fast emerging startup. But I did it and that was the start of my uh, social chain journey. So what level did you go in at on that risk? Uh, so I joined social chain as an account director. So I'd been an account director for three years. Uh, the, my prior business, Bauer Media. So they uh, own radio stations and publications and such. Um, so I joined as an account director. Um, within six months, one thing I'd had that was an advantage is I'd not actually worked in an agency before, but I'd come from a creative media business. Um, and social chain is two things. Social chain is a, a publishing house, so a media entity, and it's also an agency. And the two work very harmoniously together. We often foster insight, knowledge, and um, the know-how to do things at scale and do interesting, creative things in social media from our publishing. Um, and we feed that through to 
uh, that insight and knowledge we feed that through to our agency services so i joined the agency business um as an account director within six months i loved the team the business was going quickly i then had an opportunity to i got promoted in six months there was an opportunity to head up the accounts function um and then in the space of you know probably the next year and a half we just built the business globally so we started to roll out our global uh, we started to get more and more clients of global significance. So opportunities would present. And it was a bit of a domino effect. You know, we went into many projects having never done them before um, and being daunted and like going, this makes us nervous. We have no idea where we start, but let's just figure it out after. And that was the mentality. It was figure it out after. And then the next time we came, it was like, oh, we did a good job there let's figure out the next thing and then something bigger would come along. And, and that's just progressively, it was through good work, hard work. And, and there's a bit of a fallacy or, or there's probably a perspective of social chain that's maybe not as common. Um, social chain is uh, very much values people. So we, we do things like we have lots of dogs. We had a policy of unlimited holidays. We have therapists, you know, we do like you name it. We thought of initiatives that should enhance our culture and give back to the people that build the business. Um, one thing that people don't always recognize from the optics of externally is we work fucking really hard. Yeah. Like, it, you know, growing a business from, um, you know, a team of, uh, when I joined, it was maybe a team of 30 people to now 700 globally, you know, this year across our business will turn over $200 million. So like going from our roots to, to where that is, is a lot of adversity a lot of challenges a lot of hard 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 work and that's not always um recognized to your earlier point when we were discussing of the optics around success you see the you see the headline you don't see everything under the headline you know i think entrepreneurs like yourself any any people that you know start a business go on to build a business or such is that common thread of um you know, there's usually a catalyst moment that leads them to do something and take action. Because I think if you spoke to most people, everybody has this romantic vision of an entrepreneur. Yeah. And everybody probably wants the association. Like being an entrepreneur can be great. It's like freedom, autonomy over your decisions. You know, it can be if, you ha if you're successful, it can be very fruitful financially. So all that stuff is wonderful, right? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. What the, the behind the scenes is, and you'll, anyone who's run a business behind the scenes is, shit, we've got to make payroll. Shit, we've lost all our clients. Shit, we're doing things we've never done before. Shit, like all these worries and this micro problem solving. And um, I don't think it can be underestimated the... Um, magnitude of the the pressures and it takes a certain type of resolve and mental capacity to be comfortable in in that environment and there are so many people i'll give you one perspective of um when i first moved to the us in new york first thing i did i just wanted to meet the team it was at the time it was maybe a, in our new york office maybe 10 people and i sat down i just wanted to understand the backgrounds of everybody um i went through i like i tried to get under the skin of what that people were like just understand them and when it came to work everyone had the same thread that they were missing what they were missing in new york is a smaller business that didn't have the management structure in place they were like we want to be managed 
we want structure. It was almost like the thing that everybody in a very structured organization says, we want more freedom, we want, yeah, and then yeah. to the opposite, that was a little more chaotic. And everyone's like, we need guidance. We need to know where we're headed. We need structure. We need to learn. We need depth. We need progression and all of these things. And it's like, oh, wow. So, so this is just the opposite perspective of what most people who, who work for larger businesses or for, for businesses, that's the perspective they have. So, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of years. <laughs> Do you think that there's a misconception around that? So how long have you, how, how long have you been uh, with Social Chain? So I've been with Social Chain four years. The business as an agency has been around almost six now. So I was about a year and a half when I joined the business. So it's fair to say that you've had quite a rapid progression from joining to being, you know, US managing director. Yeah. And I would imagine that, I know that you're not an entrepreneur in the sense that you own the business, but you are, you are a managing director, therefore you are by definition an entrepreneur because you have to deal with all the same shit that everybody else has to deal with. I think that um, I would imagine that I'd be interested to get a perspective in terms of like what the, 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 the staff in the US are like. I think people mis, misunderstand the volume of effort that you put in. And that might be, I always describe to people, I say like, well, I worry about it in the shower. Like when I'm having a shower, I'm thinking about it. When I'm putting my shoes on, I'm thinking about it. When I'm in the gym, I'm thinking about the clients. I'm thinking about what problems that we've got. And like, it's just almost like disguising the effort for one mm. of a better description. And I think that's what, uh, and I'd be interested to see whether that, that's the same sort of take in the US where there's that perception of disguised effort. Yeah, 100%. So um, social chain, one of the reasons I joined the business is I admired the entrepreneurial flair. You know, prior to then, I had all my side hustles. I set up a light bulb business selling light bulbs because I wanted to understand commerce. You know, uh, I had I have 50 domains, everything from like 3D print cloud to bit exchange. Like innately, I've been an entrepreneur that never took the plunge, right? Yeah. So I joined an entrepreneurial business and um, when I joined there, one of the things that really impressed me from what Stephen Don was at the time, uh, you know, 25, uh, and Dom 24 and like they entrusted the management team and they empowered so it's from every team it's very entrepreneurial in every sense of the word so as a, as I as I grew through the business look um, you should never expect anyone to care about your business as much as you but if you create an amazing culture which is what social chain had and had this value set that truly cared about people it meant that people cared as much about this business that wasn't theirs probably more than they should. And I was one of those people, you know, I, um, I, I, I treat social chain like my own business, which means thinking about it and obsessing over it all the time. Not just, and, and one of the things that I learned through that process of, of being obsession is it, that's very difficult. That's not for everybody. Like work shouldn't be that expectation. You should never expect that of anybody. But as someone who's very ambitious, that um, probably had the mental fortitude to give that of myself. Um, I was happy to do so because I was getting so many rewards from the business, um, you know, uh, accelerated progression, responsibility, you know, the freedom to build the business. And operationally, you know, myself and, and Katie, who runs the UK business, you know, um, we, we've been driving the operations for the last year now. So it's, that's full autonomy control. And we always answer to someone. You know, we have investors and 
um, in, if anyone doesn't know. So the founders of Social Change stepped down this year. Um, and they stepped down for for personal reasons. I, I, I'm a, I'm immensely proud of them both. You know, they they gave a lot to me. I learned so much from them both. Um, but they're going to go on and and do their own amazing things in the future. Um, and during that moment, that just meant you know, from a, a business operation standpoint, as in, um, I've always had this uh, element of a when it comes of mental fortitude. I always had a you know. Uh, something goes wrong I go let's discuss it with Steve right Steve how are we going to work through this has happened and now there's this start realization that hit me this summer very much as myself and Kate is like oh that that ends now we don't have that it's okay we you know we, we've got to make decisions a bit at peace with the decisions that you make in a business um, and 2020 has been a reflective year for everybody so um, to answer your original question around like is the US any different um, uh, around I would say the biggest difference I find between UK and US is is probably more to do with like the subculture or the mentality or relationship people have with business so in the US business is a lot more transactional than it is in the UK I think UK media agency client relationships they're very much built on relationships I think in the US it can be relationships matter in our industry massively but it's certainly a little more transactional um, and people have a different relationship. I think we were very fortunate. We decided to follow Adland. And when we set up in the US, we thought New York, ambition, we want to set up in New York. What the byproduct we didn't fully recognize at the time was New York is a not only a hotspot of culture globally, it influences the world. It's a, it's a hotspot for like immense talent. There's two types of people that move to New York. Um, probably when you're young, if, if you move when you're young, you've either come from like, um, a sense of some form of privilege because New York on a junior salary is unforgiving. One of the most expensive cities in the world. You cannot live if you rejoin. So you probably need some family support or, you know, uh, have access to finances and such. And the second people is just like the grinders, the hustlers, the immense talent. So, and both of them have immense merits of great schooling, great background, you know, great upbringings and like just the sheer hustlers, the, entrepreneurs the p the go-getters so like you have this amazing clash of talent from every spectrum um yeah and and new york's been a blessing for us as a business that's built on talented people and make you know getting the most out of people then yeah we, we've been a benefactor of that what does an average day look like for you like when you're in new york what does it look like so an average day for me, like everyone right now, is wake up, Zoom call, end of day, Zoom call. Pretend none of this has happened. Pretend. Let's do stuff again. Yeah, we're, we're in the world. So, so a typical day, um, one thing that I think is really prevalent uh, uh, that I try and do is um, I try and be an eternal student. Like social media, the world we're currently operating in, you know, something I tell you today may not be true tomorrow. So it's really important that as someone that leads the business, I want to be the most competent in my craft, like period. So I spend a lot of time, first thing in the morning is, you know, reading early. Um, I try and do a lot of level setting. So as in, I'll go exercise, I'll have my breakfast. Like I spend a lot of time in the morning, just getting in the right frame of mind, learning, reading, understanding what's happening. As soon as I hit the office, you know, the first thing that I typically do, um, I'll categorize my role into three parts. And you can probably relate to this in running a business. There's the, there's the making sure we deliver the best work we possibly can. And there are a million things that go into that, whether that's having the best people, whether that's looking at our processes, 
whether that's critiquing and feedback on what we do, whether that's analyzing how we're doing things, you know, being the best work and helping our partners think in the right way. The, these, you know, great work is a two way street when you're an agency and you're a brand or a business. So like those relationships, so I spend a disproportionate amount of my time working on everything relating to our work and our clients. The other big category I do is um, my responsibility is to like have the best people possible and help them to fulfill their potential. So that's through feedback, through consulting, through, you know, monitoring for having discussions with all our teams. Our business is structured into three parts, meaning, you know, we have our client servicing functions, our creative functions, which is our production houses and different things like that. Um, and then we have our strategy team and media and distribution. So we have a whole host of teams. So I'll spend equal merit in, in those factors. And then the third component, I'm going to say that businesses, businesses with lots of people, the number one thing you can do is retain harmony. And when you have lots of people that, you know, everyone has a perspective and everyone wants to progress, to learn, like figuring out how to create harmony, dealing with people's problems, you know, I, I think your word is everything. When I first joined the US business, my first thing to do was understand all the legacy promises and all the problems that people felt are the injustices and fix them. Like, so I could build trust with the team. I didn't know any of the people. I went out and that was my first job in gaining people's respect. It's like being a person of my word. If I say something, that's going to happen. And like understanding those moments. So I would say creating harmony. And then at a macro level, um, it's executing against our strategy. We want to be a world leading social media and creative agency. You know, we're on a good path to doing that. And in order to get there, it's setting a vision and executing against the vision. And there's like a harsh reality of um, we spend a lot of time on our marketing efforts and building social chain as a brand, like making sure social chain is a brand, not just the people we build. So we have some cut through and some standout. And the reality is no matter who we employ, the only people that will care about social chain truly being a band, it's not, not going to be the marketing team. It's going to be the owners or the person accountable. So the, the people running the business. So if I don't care about how social chain is perceived and our reputation in the US and what are our marketing efforts and how we project, no one else will care. Yeah. Like truly care and be able to execute. So I'll spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, um, what is what is our brand? What are we known for? What are we famous for? Like what do people, when you think social chain, what services do you think? When you think social chain, you know, what work, what clients do you think of? And we put a lot of time into thinking that. And then the undertone, and you'll relate to this, is just dealing with problems. Just problem after problem after problem after problem. Um, and as the business has grown, by the time information gets to me sometimes, um, it means that like it's gone through a lot of layers of people not being able to solve a problem. Yeah. <laughs> come to you because shit's about to hit the fan. Yeah. Yeah. So like a be on the defense of problems, trying to make sure problems don't arise, but they inevitably do every day and just staying balanced and harmony. And what I would say in my personal progression in the last, you know, through COVID, through the challenges we faced there through, you know, just the, the challenge of building a business, um, I would say I have a, a very good mental fortitude for being really balanced when things going amazing and we do really well and being really balanced and level headed when everything's going wrong. 
and there's problems everywhere. And I, if I was to give you one tip or secret that, that's been really valuable to me, it's that is, you know, the thing that you, the, the thing that you want and think is the best thing ever is never as good as you think. And the thing that's horrendous and as, you know, your world's ending is never as bad as you think. So like having that perspective and recognizing that, you know, we are not responsible for people's lives. In the grand scheme of um, magnitude of things we do, we do fun, interesting things. And like, although it seems the world may be crumbling at times, there's a reality that no one died as a result of our actions. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. I think that what you said there about the brand and the reputation of the brand are not really stopping with you. <clears throat> that was something I identified with myself at Christmas. I was kind of like thinking to myself, like, We've created a brand locally, like people know us for what we do and they know us for our execution, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't want, I don't just want the business to be like putting out 418% increase in inquiries from faith. It's like so yawn. It was like so boring. Like, no, no one cares. The reality is one of our foundational principles that we tell, and we say this sounds harsh, no one cares about you. Yeah. And like, from a creative standpoint, if you're a brand, if you assume the world cares, your customers care, like you're at a massive disadvantage. Like just assume no one cares. And that way you force your way to make them care. Like Our first line of training that the, any new member of team gets, the first thing I say to them is, welcome to a different way of thinking, is they... All the designs that you're going to make today and over the course of the time that you work here, if you can design them in the thought process that no one's ever going to see them and no one's ever going to care about it, your job will be so much easier to be creative that you'll be worrying about somebody actually liking it. And you see with new, new starters, they, they either crumble at that logic or they go... It's liberating. Wow, I haven't got to worry about it. And I'm like... And I, we, we, the, the first day we do this thing, the first body of work that we do, we do this thing where we all sit around the table and we all review it together. And I'll go, oh my God, I hate one to 20, but I like 23, 27 and 48, but that's because it's got big text and it's my favourite colour. And then Jules will go, well, I like one, seven. And then we just show them that, even the small team, we can't agree on what we like. So we need to let the internet try and decide what's the best logical foot forward for that. Let the internet decide anything is dangerous, dude. But I... <laughs> okay. in, in the sense of like, what I mean by that is, is like, if you've done a hundred variations of design for an event, it's subjective. The reality subjective, is, yeah. creative is the most subjective. The thing you love, someone else hates. Like, that's just a, a reality. And actually, I think the, the good point, the point I usually think when the perspective of creative endeavors is often when we work with clients and partners, um, they don't, you, you don't know what you don't know. Like, you probably don't know what you like until you see it, right? So I, I think as you as a, an agency or a partner, as your responsibility is to just have unapologetic conviction in what you like. And, you know, four times out of five, that's probably like you get it right. And the one time you get it wrong, you know, so what? My, my favorite exercise, and it's always a man. It's always you're dealing with a man. And they'll go, you send a, they're, they're always in the new contract phase, you'll, you'll send over the first body of creative work. And they'll go, 
don't like any of it. And you'll say like, is that your preference that you don't like any of it? Or you just, you know, where is that coming from? And they're like, oh, you know, I've seen this and I don't like this and I don't like that. And you say to them, well, we've got to come to a point where we've got to try something because you're currently stifling your marketing now by not letting anything go out. So we'll come to an agreement and we'll agree a hundred, a hundred images that we're going to try. And it's always the one that they absolutely hate that does the best. And like you present it back to them, they go, yeah, we're probably going to have to stick with that now, aren't we, as a theme? And you're like, yeah, like this is working for you. It's delivering inquiries. And do you, do you credit that to um, men are a little more stubborn? Is that what you're going to credit that to? Or just is it the perception that we have of trying to have all the answers or something like that? No, I think that generally, I think that being creative is really difficult. So I'm not creative in the sense that I can create stuff. Like, give me photo, uh, Adobe and I'll edit you a video having never used it before because it's linear. Like, read this, learn this, do that, chop. Right, how do I add transition? Right, easy, yeah? So I, I, we, I, I, I learned Adobe overnight to do something to show the guys that it wasn't that difficult. Get me to like design something or, oh, I'm so useless at it, but like, in my mind, like from a, you know, a, a, a developer's perspective, I can think about what my product's going to be and tell the developers and lead them and say, this is roughly what I want. So I understand that I'm, I'm not a creative visual person. And what you tend to find with, <clears throat> it can be men and women, what men tend to do is dislike everything. And then the women tend to get fixated on one design and want everything to look like that one design. And you talked about, well, we've got no variation on demographic because we're basically designing something specifically that you're going to like. Mm -hmm. And you own the business and you're 50 and your target audience is 25. There's a, there's a mismatch there. Whereas we, we, it tends to be easier to get stuff signed off with women, but with men, they just like, they'll just say they don't like any of it. And you're like, well, what input have you got to tell me what you do want? And they go, well, I'm not creative, what we're paying you for it. You're like, well, we're just paying us to say, like, we think that this might work. Let's, let, let's, let's, give it a, let's give it a go. Just to give you a bit of a background, our area of expertise really is that we're really disruptive in price. So we pick up loads. I mean, we've got companies that turn over billions down to like companies that turn over a few hundred thou. And we have the same processes, the same customer services, the same sort of plan in place. So, we have we see some bizarre stuff like you know we have some people that just go i literally don't care just make it work and you go fantastic perfect client and then you've got others that are like can you move the logo over like one whatever and you're like really and they're like yeah or they're like it's designed for a mobile optimized app campaign and then they're looking at it on their flat screen tv at home trying to work out what they don't like about it so it is a, it very different to you we, we have a huge educational piece yeah with our clients to get them to think that, about what it is they're trying to do yeah that that's universal i, I think um marketing creative they're all endeavors that anybody can do it doesn't mean you can do it well so most people will have an opinion um but yeah for it's the same like the vast a lot of our time and a lot of our headspace on longer term clients mm. is helping them become better versions and, and it's reciprocated you know clients that challenge us 
I always think there's healthy relationships in having a difficult client. A, you can learn a lot from, you know, problem solving and figuring out, you know, a better way of working. But B, I often think they make you accountable and be the best version of you. Uh, you know, and uh, one of the, we have a very similar philosophy of when we work with someone like our view is that we should treat everybody if we decide we're going to work with someone um whether you know it's a startup in new york or it's coca-cola they get treated exactly the same and rightly so and it was it came off the back of um a pitch uh, that we did a competitive pitch for there was i think 15 agencies which is way too much to evaluate anything but 15 agencies pitched for an, yeah like an fmcg brand in in the us and it's a brand we still work with today we've been working with it it's one of our longest standing us clients and um they said i said where did you find us they went oh we saw you in a social media week newsletter i'm like oh cool so you know what were you were saying our headlines were cool then i said so why did you select us out of 15 agencies um, you know, I'm sure there was great work. I'm sure there was great people, smart people. What was it? And she said, well, we got the impression, uh, we, we felt uh, about you guys, we got the impression that you were, you know, uh, big enough to fulfill our ambitions, but you felt small enough to care that we weren't just going to become this byproduct of a, a network agency. And I was like, I'm sure I've seen that on some handyman's, you know, van somewhere in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big enough to do any job, but, you know, small enough to care. But I'm like, that, the, just that sentiment was a real reinforcement wake-up point that, you know, how we treat our partners has to be with that philosophy. We decide, like, our word, our integrity, our reputation is everything. So whether it's a, a seemingly smaller business or it's a world-leading brand, they're going to get the same level of care from us. Not necessarily the same work, different work, different scale, different budgets, but they're going to get the same level of care. Can I just go back slightly to something that you just said and I didn't have time to just in, to comment on it. You mentioned, um, obviously, you've got a, I mean, you've achieved so much in four years. You, you sort of took a risk, massive lesson to be learned there. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I quit. I mean, I took a 50% pay cut to leave my, my first job just to get out of doing it because it wasn't good enough. it wasn't good for me like the money was mad but me as a person was just completely broken filled i was just chasing cash just yeah. sat at the desk chasing cash all day it's a couple of things that you said i think um you mentioned you know a routine in 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 the morning i i i have a very i i mean my staff laugh at me because i literally eat the same sandwich if you leave me to my own devices <laughs> I, I try to explain to them it's the it's the process of the routine that means I don't worry so much it's kind of like if I know that I'm doing all of these things it means that I'm maintaining my own personal best which means whatever I deliver on the day is the best I could have done for that day uh, that's why I sort of I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with routine and I think that um for people watching this like it does sound like you've got a well-established routine like can you just sort of give uh, any more perspective on that, how important that balanced routine is in terms of being successful? Yeah, I, I think if, 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 I, if I think about routines and, and what they do in structure, um, they, give you a set of, they give you a set of rules to play by. Um, I, I think there's some universal truths about success. Um, success generally and always is associated with three things. It's luck. Like you cannot, it's undeniable that luck plays a role. Yeah. Um, success comes from your choices, the choices that you make, and success comes from action, actually doing 
things and like you can control two of them you can't control love but you can control your choices and your actions um so they're two they're two things and and like that will and you know the the, the real secret there is that more often than not um luck works with you when you do the right choices and take the right action so like my thing is um uh, my morning routines and whether you're a morning person an evening person because what you tend to find if you're a create if you're innately creative your sources of inspiration aren't structured they come in the shower they come in the middle of the night you find creative people so for creative people it's a little harder to get structure um, but i can't uh, i can't inflate the importance of like balance for me like total balance so my routines whatever they are are just about balance so um i try and get good sleep i work like crazy long hours traveling do because i enjoy what i do but like for me personally like good sleep matters because i want to feel good i try and eat pretty healthy 80 percent of the time because i feel better not because yes there's some reasons like I want to look better and there's there's vanity reasons associated but generally i want to be the best version of myself and like that's a big part the other thing when it comes to work is i care like so much about the work that i do my craft the people that um, i work with and i like truly care but i also like care so much about other shit. and this is the bit this is the missing piece that don't no, so example if your world is your work, which for a lot of entrepreneurs it is, um, when, when work goes horrendously wrong, which it inevitably will do, your world ends. Yeah, Where right. for me, I have other outlets that I care deeply about. Like I adore kickboxing, mixed martial arts, football, like sports. And like for me, if I'm having a bad day at work, like I care about a load of other things. So it doesn't matter. I care about my friends, family, learning all different things because I have so many interests and things that I'd like genuinely care about. Just this one part of my day not working, that's fine. I'm at peace with that. So my routines aren't necessarily always just about structure. They're about setting up my life so I can be the health, healthiest I can. I can optimize my day. I can have as much fun. Like my pursuit in everything is like happiness. It's like feeling good, happiness. It's not hedonistic happiness. It doesn't mean like I'm out clubbing every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it means like me feeling good and yeah. fulfilled and learning and all those things. So my structure and routine is more about like chasing these philosophical values I think are important to to balance. I've um <clears throat> I when I when I started the business, I sort of dedicated everything. Uh, I kept getting fired, so I needed to dedicate everything to it. So. <laughs> Not, not great at holding down jobs. And uh, so I had to dedicate everything to it. And I thought, you know, you, you, there is a route back after this, but you, you need to make this stick because it's literally like, this is it. And I threw everything into it. And I was so focused on running the business, delivering excellence, something like it completely engulfed me. And I'd go to see my accountant and he'd be like, the business is doing really well. And I'd be like, yeah, I can't spend any money. Don't do this. And it wasn't even absorbing what my mentors were actually sort of saying to me. They're like, you know, you might want to actually take a salary. You don't need to take any money out. I can keep eating beans. Like all this ridiculousness. And what I'd actually done was I'd put the balance completely wrong on my life. And it was crazy. So I, I, I listened to it. I listened. I sort of decided, like, what do you actually enjoy? other than coming to work, because I love working. Mm -hmm. So I made a list of all of the things that I like doing. So 
Got myself another season ticket at Forest. I was a season ticket holder for years and I stopped going at the start of the business. I hadn't been to a match for three years, got a season ticket, got a PT at the gym, not been really involved in the gym. I lost loads of weight. Business made more money, <clears throat> made more money. I like, I've been on this pursuit of happiness, which um, is caused my family find it bizarre because my family are just like stuck in like the traditional sense of what being happy is like, oh, you've got a good pension. Oh, you've got this and that. It's like, but are you happy? Like, are you actually happy? Most people chase comfort. Comfort, yeah. Is probably the thing that, and look, security is like innate to happiness. Like feeling secure and comfort is, is like nice. But the probably one thing I, I've learned, you'll be the same. Is all the, all the meaningful moments that have propelled you have been when you've been most uncomfortable and most unsure and having most anxiety about that decision. And it ends up being the best thing you ever did. And that's like the common thread with most big decisions, right? Because you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's like one of my favorite philosophers. I think it, Joe Rogan says it, but I, I do love that philosophy. So it's very much, um, you know, I, I think that we've moved into a time where, you, you know, you talk about balance there, but I think that's a one thing that a lot of like, like people wanting to look at, like achieving success is they, they haven't actually got, get, they haven't actually looked at it in a balanced perspective either. It's kind of like, you know, you think, oh, you run your own business, you must be loaded. And you're like, well, no, I'm not, I'm not loaded, but do we worry about like going to the pub or, you know, some other, like, you know, cost of living and stuff like that? No, no, I don't, I don't necessarily worry about that, but I'm definitely not loaded. And if I was loaded, I wouldn't spend my money because ultimately it doesn't actually make you happy buying things. Like, I would say I've become tighter, the better the business has become. Personally, I've become tighter because I realise it's got nothing, it's nothing to do with cash. It has nothing to do with money anymore. You have a perspective of valuing things differently. You probably value experiences, your time, all of those things more than a material possession. So I think, yeah, I think I value, I think the thing I value the most is the fact that the staff come here to work here every day and choose to come and work for our business, which... I think when I realised that that's what the staff were doing and I realised that I'd got the culture right and I was like, actually, this is what I was wanting to do, not... Craving, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is what I was wanting to crave. So can I ask you, I, it's all been very positive, but there must have been some setbacks. You must have had something that you just thought, that was not great. And yeah, what, how did you overcome it? What, 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 what did you draw upon to over, overcome a setback? I'm going to give like a really cliche answer um, I, and I'll, I'll go back. I'm going to zoom back to my uh, childhood. Um, my, my dad's from Bulgaria and uh, he used to tell me, and it feels a weird thing to hear a parent say to a child, but from a very young age, he would tell me like, you're mentally strong, which is like a weird thing to say to a four-year-old, but there's a cultural and a language difference. And he would say, you're mentally strong. So I grew up through my life thinking that nothing can break me, right? Like whether it's true, you know, neurologically or whether I've just come to believe that from being told it at a young age, like that's what I carried through. And I genuinely haven't, of course, I've faced adversity, adversity every single day. I think if I describe to some of the teammates, like some of the, or some of the people I work with or people, some of the shit I have to deal with, 
they would like go, I don't know how you manage sometimes, but I don't see it as that. Everything that I look at is my perspective. I look at like what's in my control. And the way that I deal with adversity is just not worrying too much about outcomes. And there's like a supreme confidence in knowing, you know, before I think before I had what you could argue is seemingly success in career or in life or financially or things like that. Um, I was just as happy before. I was just as happy, you know, growing up in Barnes, they're like playing football every day, wanting to be a footballer. I was super happy. When I went to, co- when I like was in a band and, and did those, I was super happy. When I went to co- uh, college, I was like super happy. When I was like working in a call center, like I was just super happy. Like I'm just, I consider myself very fortunate to just be a happy person. And I know that's not the same for everybody, right? But um, I will count my blessings and I'll, I'll, I'll take that and run with that. So I, haven't, I face adversity like everybody every single day. Um, and, and my way of dealing it is just only controlling what I can control or having that perspective. That's an amazing answer. Your dad is a hero. Yeah, look. It, is, it, is, it is neurological. I, I, I've, I've done a lot of I've done a lot of research and I have uh, invested a lot of money uh, and time into finding a life coach and this person is just someone I just go and go and she'll just go whatever and I spoke to her this morning for an hour while she was walking her dogs in the and like we were both walking and I spoke to an hour just the morning chat and um, she, she it is neurological she said that strength of character like your dad saying that to you is it actually has convinced you from from a young age yeah 100 percent. and look we all have a natural disposition and we'll have genetic advantages and disadvantages in the same sentence but like i truly value i can hone back and go you know i was put in high stress situations or situations where people may allow the pressure to get to them and because i had this belief that nothing can break me, um, suddenly the outcomes of that were like, I handled the pressure and I was fine. And then the other thing is like evidencing through your life, like experience matters, going through like lots of different things, you will be a different human being in five years than what you are today. So like that manifestation of all those mini experiences. And like one thing I was very lucky because I've had a, we didn't talk about like my career, but mine's been like, football at a high level at 16 getting injured to like being in a band playing Glastonbury to like just doing interesting things and I've absorbed so much from all those seemingly random experiences that led me to find a career that I never knew I wanted a career that I never knew I you know I found passions that I never knew I even liked Um, and I've been on a path that's taken me around the world and I I say social chain as a vehicle if there's like one thing I want to leave um it's that i'd like to continue the legacy of the business a business that changes people's lives and i don't mean that in a fugazi bullshit you know romantic way i mean genuinely change people for some people that's like financially they get lots of financial rewards for others that's like they learn so much for some people that's they make their best friends and they have a forge a relationship in you know um for others it's like career progression accelerated progression because they deserve it and they're fully capable and they're exposed to things that they wouldn't in a more corporate environment. So whatever that is, like my vision is to create, continue the legacy of a business that can change lives. And that's different for everybody. That's not all the, 
saying, but it sounds a little like marketing bullshit, but it's the genuine truth. No, I believe I'm ba- I bought into all of that. I believed every word you just said. I tell you, <laughs> something, that's, I tell you something that's really interesting. I described myself. So I, I, I'm helping a rapper at the moment, and uh, he sat with me, and he, we, 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 we've been for a gym. We've, we've been on a country walk together. All the usual things you wouldn't expect to do with a rapper. But like, I researched and I saw what he liked to do. And, he, and, he, and he, he sat with me and he said, like, why are you helping me for nothing? I don't get it. And I said to him, you don't understand. I am like the nearly made it man. I was like, I nearly made a professional footballer. I was nearly good enough to be a professional cricketer. I was almost a scratch golfer. I was really good at swimming. I've got a black belt in taekwondo. Somehow... From all of these things that I put all this effort into as a child, I never made the Olympics or the World Cup team. I've got, I, don't, I blame my mum's cooking is what I've, I've, I've boiled, it, boiled it down to, right? It's because my mum couldn't provide me with the diet. But I feel like as a child, you've, by putting yourself in it, in, in those sort of sporting environments, you learn to fail and you learn that you can't win every time and you learn that losing can motivate you to be better and it's really interesting one of the common themes that a lot of the people that have been on spotlight have got in common is we're all failed sports people it's crazy it's crazy it's a very very common treat you apply the like it's just it's the same foundations like to be good at anything you want to be the best hairdresser in the world like you're gonna have to work hard you're gonna have to be disciplined you're gonna have to care you're gonna have to like just put the hours in and you get that i think from sport like i think sport's a wonderful foundation and it doesn't have to be sport it can be a creative endeavor but like having one of the questions that i often ask people in um, you know in an interview because I, I care more about character like skills you can demonstrate you can learn you can develop but character I think is, is, it's not necessarily innate, but it matters more to me. Uh, and one of the things that I like to see in people is like, I want to understand what they're passionate about. So I think people that get obsessed and passionate about something, it doesn't matter, it can be pottery, gardening, you know, clothes, it doesn't matter to like what you're passionate about, but like people that care, I think become more interesting people. And as a proxy have more potential. Um, is that something you've learned along the way on your journey with your interviewing? Yeah, I think so. Um, in Look, uh, we've gone through an accelerated hiring process. We've made so many wrong hiring decisions um, and we've made so many amazing ones. And what I try and do in that collective um, knowledge of going through those processes and going, when did we really get it right with this person? And when did we get it wrong? Um, and the common thread was that the characteristics we had of all the people we got it right with, they were humble, they were nice. Um, they were very hardworking. Like there's a, there's a bit of a, and you spoke about it before, balance. There's this hard work has this negative connotation attached to it in the world today. And it certainly shouldn't. It's just like a truth. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be respectful of people's, you know, mental tolerance, fragilities, you know, work balance. People want other things in their life. But like universally, like hard work will get you pretty far. <laughs> like in, <laughs> It's something you can control. It's something like regardless. So like they've been hardworking and then they've always had this like appetite and ambition to learn, like ambition to progress. So they're like four characteristics that I've noted regardless of amplitude, role, talent, seniority. And they seem to be common threads of great people. So I've, I've kind of learned that and, and like they all have, you know, 
something they really care about. And when I say passion, passion doesn't have to be a sport or something as prescriptive. It's just like they care about things. And that translates to their work. People that go through life that are a bit passive, that don't really care about things, you know, how can they care about their endeavor, their craft, their work? So for me, it's a, a hidden quality that I would probably look for. I think that that's very much a, a, a changing way of recruiting as well. I think we, we do work with a lot of recruiters and it's very much, you know, the standard protocol, your CV, your qualifications, et cetera, et cetera. And when I first started recruiting, I tried all of those things. And all I ended up with was on paper, the perfect employee. And they had no passion. Like they were just, they just, on paper like first in business marketing or whatever you think oh brilliant and then most of the staff that we've got have got very average degrees which basically they look like they had way too much fun at uni yeah. but Jules Jules who works here uh, uh, Jules who, who got in contact with you as head, she's the head of production she didn't even she stiffed, stiffed me on the first interview she sent me an email in the morning saying that she'd got another job <clears throat> and uh, she wouldn't be coming to interview and felt it only polite to let me know. And then she rang back ballsy 10 days later when the job had fell through and was literally like, yeah, just ringing you up. Uh, the job didn't really materialise. I know that I didn't come to an interview and let you know like an hour before. But I was like, do you know how many people didn't let me know that they weren't going to come to the interview? Do you want to come in? I was like, talk to me now. I'll interview on Monday. I literally gave her a job on the spot, took her up the office like, this is where you're going to be working. No, it was on the Friday. And I said, so there's only one condition. She was like, what's that? So you've got to start on Monday. Uh, it, you know, not a great degree, just like me. Like, you know, about the passion and like mm. the commitment to the, the job and like how far we've been able to develop her based on the fact that she wants it. Like, you can go, you can go so far just with uh, an amazing attitude and an eagerness to, to get better. And you can... And then the antithesis of that, you know, the most experienced, the most talented people with egos that wouldn't have the humility to keep learning and to give, but they, they can be toxic in a, in a company. Like we, um, like from a recruitment standpoint, we, we value character and that's a personal opinion of mine, but we also like our, our ambition is to be the best um, social and creative agency in the world. In order to do that, like recruiting talent goes way beyond um, that's why the brand matters. So we spoke earlier a little bit about brand, like um, what we're famous for and what people know us for is, is very much a beacon for talent. It's one of the reasons in the UK and in the US we invested quite a lot in the how our offices look, although offices seem a distant memory today. Like offices mattered to us because I couldn't name another business in the UK where people would, you know, Instagram stories share, like make all their friends jealous about like the place that they work more so than social chain. And that as a recruitment tool, it was never a conscious effort that that was intent. But when we retrospectively look back at like great decisions that were made, that were intuitive, um, had these all these byproducts that meant that we could recruit the best talent in wherever we were operating because we had this amazing employer brand. We had like things that appealed to people being like freedom, autonomy, you know, investing in people. It wasn't always that we were the highest paying. Um, and it's not that like my view is that every university of everybody wants more money um, and everybody like my ambition is to get to a place where social chain can be the highest paying agency in the world. We reward our people and we have the best people and we can reward them. Um, are we there quite yet? No, but 
we're on on you know taking steps to doing things like that so yeah a whole we could go on for days about recruitment and other do you, things do you think that you are you aware as a business like are you distinctly aware as a business like how much uh social chain has influenced other businesses are you are you aware of like i know that like, i started the call now it's like oh my god blah blah blah, blah. but it's like are you no. aware of it Look, it's been a conscious thing that um, we would hope that even outside of our industry, some of the things that we maybe drew a spotlight on um, would influence businesses to be better or to care more about their staff or to have, you know, more interesting policies that better work. So it's been a conscious effort. Um, I get all the time that like people are sick to death of seeing us on LinkedIn but one thing that um, we obsess over, like we do obsess over visibility. And like, for me, if we go to a brand and we say like our innate, uh, our innate ambition is to like make you famous as a brand, we want everybody to like, care and buy from you, right? If that's an ambition and we can't do that for ourselves, like what message does that send? So the fact when people tell me, I'm sick to death of seeing you on LinkedIn, and flooded. I'm like, I love that. That's like music to my ears. Because yeah. there's a real conscious effort from us to to amplify the things and our values as far and wide as we can. And we do that through our people, um, and we do it through you know a disproportionate amount of investment in marketing ourselves. My question was though, my actual question was, are you aware? Are you aware of the impact that the business has had? Yeah, I, I think on a surface level, yeah, I, th I think we do. We get a lot of feedback. Like, we, we have enough humility to listen all the time. And, and I know social chain from, um, look, there, there's two areas where I know we have an impact. So many agencies copy things we do. Like, that's one thing. And a lot of businesses get frustrated when people or competitors copy them. I love it. I'm like, cool, we're doing the right things. It keeps us, it makes sure that we have to keep doing the next thing. It keeps us experimenting and trying new things and doing new formulas of success. So like for, for me, that's one thing. When it comes to like the impact we've had on other businesses, um, like speaking to you and you saying, you know, you've helped us, like that's, that's more than we could ask. And I'm sure that's happened, you know, with many businesses. I'm as someone, you know, I, uh, I live in New York now, but like I grew up in Barnsley from, know poor beginnings and which part uh, of is it i know barnsley well Wumwell. okay i know Wumwell. yeah i know yeah, so i've always been in one even when i worked in in the manchester office i would drive from Wumwell every day so i'd do four hours i'd be up at 5 30 drive go to the gym work all day drive like i did like and that's the hard work bit that people i was doing four hours of driving a day going to sheffield but like so when I have that perspective, I'm, I'm kind of now um, in a different phase in my life. I, I, and I come back and like, I went into, I, I went into Sheffield city center and um, some, someone ran across the road. This is in the peak of COVID. So no one's coming, runs over across the road in my saying, stop, stop, stop. Um, you're Oliver from social chain. And like, that doesn't happen to agencies. Like, like, and she said to me the same. She went, I'm a social media consultant and you guys inspire me so much. And like, so I know we have a far reaching impact and I'm aware of that. And like, it fills my heart with like, on one hand, 
you don't know how to take a compliment. It's a bit like, oh, <laughs> you know what I, I mean? But I feel that I, I, was, I, like, I, it's amazing to hear. I think for me, it was kind of like, to give it to you in my own perspective on, on like, just speaking to you as somebody that, the, you know, social chain has influenced us. I mean, Nottingham small, a small place. Um, family from Nottingham, always thought I'd have visited Nottingham. I had much loftier ambitions than that when I started. I, I did, but I didn't want to be too far in front. And my, uh, my mentors happened to my godparents. And uh, Mike was the FD of Boots. You know, Edinburgh Council Estate, FD of Boots. My auntie, Clifton Council Estate, sold out to Office Angels. And they're like proper 1980s, like business people. <laughs> they've, they've given me the best foundation for doing everything correctly but then we were just hitting this loggerheads right and they were like what do you mean you've got no rules what do you mean you've, you've not got like a staff handbook for this or what do you mean you have unlimited holidays like it's crazy and I was going to but there's this company in Manchester right called Social Chain like they seem to be doing all right so every time I'd get like a Social Chain arts I'd give it to them right <laughs> just to get them off my back because they'd be like, oh, this mysterious company in Manchester. And this has been happening for years, you know, you know that, that, that you guys have been going. And I've used it as a way to sort of sell the idea that being kind and trying to create like a happy place to work is, is the best way. And, and I, I always say like, this business is the most profitable when, we're mo when the business is the happiest. Yeah. I really feel that the, what the, the legacy that uh, you guys at Social Chain will leave is actually that it's okay to build a business based on happiness. Yeah, and look, that, that means a lot, dude. That's, we, we do put a disproportionate amount of our thinking resource into trying to make that happen. But don't get it twisted. Like, we do so many things that we go, we should be better. One thing, like, the, the rapid acceleration of a growth means that of the business means that like we do so many things that we we've never fulfilled our learning and development program social change being a bit of a sink or swim you know people can get the best career out of it but people haven't been supported and that's not good our ambition is to really invest in learning and development never got that bit right it's a, it's a renewed focus um we got the hedonistic stuff right we got the um we got to a point with the unlimited holidays that was really interesting actually where people weren't taking enough holidays like genuinely so we had to do a new thing where we said to them right you've all got unlimited holidays but you can redo your own contract and like write how many holidays you want like get like if you think you need 50 holidays and you can be the best at your job like just write that in your contract that's fine yeah but like take advantage of this because all the unlimited holidays is like a high trust business and yes, when you get to sort of social change scale, a few people abuse the system, um, but the vast majority don't. And the upside of giving people the autonomy to do as and what, uh, you know, as needed and when, um, that's been like groundbreaking. And it's like amazing to hear that other businesses go, that's a cool philosophy. It's worked for those guys, but it's also got to be tapered with like, um, a good business story like don't think everything we do is just because we you know we're super we're, we're nice people we like to think we're nice people but we also recognize that happy productive people that love the company they work for leads to good outcomes yeah you know they'll care about our clients more 
they will be more committed, they will work harder. So like, it's not as, I would, I'd never say it's as contrived as that, but there is a, like, there's, there's, a, there's a rule about like doing the right thing. Um, not just doing something to tick a box will just lead to, you know, good outcomes. And that's kind of a philosophy we hold. So we've, we, we've moved the, the holiday policy currently is don't take the piss. That's literally our, 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 our holiday yeah. policy. And it's kind of like, if you think you need a holiday, you probably do. So take one. Um, and then we've recently introduced that this work from anywhere. Um, I trialed it last year. I went to Ibiza last year a few times. So I trialed it in Ibiza last year. I was like, we're too busy for me to stop completely. But I'm just going to take my computer. I always take my computer everywhere anyway. But I'm just going to work whilst I'm on holiday. So I allocated about an hour to hour and a half in the mornings to stay on top of things. When, you know, people aren't even up. It reduced my stress and it reduced the business's stress. And really interestingly, some of the staff watched me do it and realised that that would maybe work better for them. So Jules has just been to Havar. Um, oh, she had loads of holidays. But the last one she went to Havar, she went there for 10 days. And she took a laptop with her and she did, she just ticked off the things that she needed to do. She probably worked for 30 or 40 minutes maximum a day. But she came back without that stress of work. I've got to go back to it. And I, and I, was, I, I was really clear to the team. I said, like, that works for her. You have to understand that that's her balance and that works for her. It might not work for you. So don't feel under pressure to take your laptop with you when you go away, wherever it is. But if you do feel that it will make it better for you to do that, take it with you and do the job that you need to do when you then get, get, get the balance right. I think the challenge with those things is um, as human beings, we always project our own opinions or expectations on others even subversely so i think as, as a company owners like setting the guidelines it's been like really clear that you've got these clear set of values and it's like total autonomy and you choose and it's high trust you choose where you work how long you work what you do there's never an expectation but here are my like personal values and this is what i'm going to do and like if you can remove that, that that's a, it's a hard balance to get and like you'll not always get it right but um I think do, you're doing it for the right reasons, so it can only lead to good outcomes, you know. Um, dude, I got five minutes. Just yeah, to we've got five to go. I will wrap it up. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's good. I can't yeah, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you, dude. Is there um, yeah anything? And like when I'm back in the UK, I'll probably be back in the UK in uh, the back end of October. But we should connect. I'll come down to Nottingham. Yeah, that would be wicked. Thank you. Um, I mean, yeah, literally. Like I know, I know it sounds like really like like noddy i suppose but like it it it, it, but it has it it's it has like nottingham's such a weird place right it's it's small it's compact right i can i know my city i can walk across it in 10 minutes any direction i know where everything is I know where all the businesses are and it's so linear in like what its concept of like what a business should be like it's slightly it is slightly behind and so it, it has been difficult for for me and the guys to come here and be like right this isn't we're not doing normal here we're like we've and you guys i know it sounds crazy but you have set an example for us to like follow really and just think we're not trying to be social chain by any stretch of the imagination but you can think to yourself it's okay to come to work with a slightly different set of goals 
that will, can ultimately lead you in a better outcome position than what you originally perceived would be the right way of getting there. Yeah, I'd love to hear it, dude. And thank you so much for the kind words. I think um, that I, I, if anything we do inspires and like you go, that's cool. I encourage anyone to steal anything that we do that's helpful and just take it and run with it and do your own things. It's like on top of that, like take what we do and do it better. There'll cool. be things that we can't do um, for, for, you know, either operational reasons that I would think it should be done. So like, there's a whole, whole like, there's things in the US we physically can't do. There's much tighter to regulations around um, working hours and salaried staff and rigid in New York. There's like governed laws um, for people that earn under $65,000. They have to like stop work and there's different. In so there's a whole host of things that we do in the UK that we can't do in the US. Um, but yeah. My, my post-COVID plan, no, my pre-COVID plan was going to be, I decided that I could rent a villa, right, where for the summer, where the staff could have unlimited access to this villa so that they could, if they needed like a summer break, but they wanted to like not use the holidays or work or just have some kind of like sun. Dude, that's an even better idea now in a COVID age. Like a pre-COVID, that's an even better COVID idea. Uh, uh, so that we, we're on this D2N2 program, it's like an accelerator program. And I was the first visit he did after lockdown. He said, so what do you see, what do you see happening next summer? And I was like, I'm going to stick with a villa potentially in Ibiza where we can all just go and work and relax and something like that. And he was like, quite a crazy idea. It's like, well, maybe not next summer, but like, I, 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 that sounds a wonderful idea. We've got um, people remotely all over now. We had a lot of problems with British people and visas and, and all the chaos. Um, and we, we're getting half of our guy, I say half, got half of our LA team that was going to be our old LA team. There's four guys going out to Costa Rica just to get on the same time zone, rent a villa and just work from there. And we're going to figure out how we can facilitate that. So we've got something similar that like, dude, that's, that's a great idea. I love it. So that completes this episode of Spotlight With. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and we'll see you really soon for some more episodes.